Tis the season. Fa la la la. Is it already? It's a week away. I think it's been for a month, officially. I think yes. uh, Halloween rules apply. As soon as we hit December, it's Christmas time. When, when, when are you supposed to put up your Christmas tree? Um, I think it depends if you go um, plastic or uh, the real deal. If you have a real one, I don't think you want to be too early, because that shit's just going to shed. I had a friend Ew. whose parents were pretty bougie, and they put up the, tr- <clears throat> the tree at the 1st of uh, December. Oh, I think most of, people we kind do of thought that. they were weird. No, you usually put up like a week before, I think. At least in my family. Oh. I think we usually put like like a day or two before. Oh, I don't have a Christmas tree. I've never had one. Like, I don't subscribe to that tradition. <laughs> you don't believe in Christmas trees? No. If, if I wasn't living alone, I would have one. Why can't uh, you explain? have one alone? You can't, it's too much to blow if no one else is there to admire it, or what? No, it's just like, it just takes up space, and I don't care that much about Christmas, so it'd be a waste of space for me to have it. So, you don't care, but if someone else was there, you had to care? Yes. Yeah. Mm. What if they don't care? Then I wouldn't do it. I get it. But I think, Perfect I th- match, then. I think my day, I think my uh, goal in life is to meet someone who has... Uh, completes me so i would have someone who would care about christmas enough to put up a christmas <laughs> must tree. come with a tree <laughs> <laughs> hey i'm offering an New apartment for them to live in <laughs> so you were talking about christmas movies philip what are some essential christmas movies for you lot i'm gonna pass it to ned because he looks very pondering right now so i usually hate christmas movies um the last thing that's more Christmassy I watched was Matt Rogers' Christmas special, Have You Heard of Christmas? Because I felt like it's going to be something fun. It was amazing. I definitely recommend. But I think Elf. Elf is the closest I can get to for, as okay. a Christmas movie. I don't think I've seen all of Elf. Elf is uh, a good movie. I enjoy it. But the only movie I really care about... I have two movies I like to watch during Christmas. It's uh, a National Lampoon's Christmas with Chevy Chase. Mm-hmm. And and then also there's a Swedish movie called uh, the Swedish title is uh, Tomten i Fart alla barnen. The English version, the English name for it is uh, Sleeping with Santa. No, and, uh, I, I I I like <laughs> that no, movie. No. I like that movie because of how unapologetic it is about showing how absolutely obscene and how absolutely destructive Christmas is for most families that are not perfect. And I love it <laughs> for that mm. reason. Mm. What about you, me? Um, I mean, I used to... I, I don't like it anymore, but I used to really fuck with uh, Love, actually. Um, what made you change your mind about that one? I just rewatched it, and I was like, wow, this is a bad movie. <laughs> 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 uh, yeah. um, but then, otherwise, Gremlins, I think, is a um, very good Christmas it- movie. Is would we consider like because there there's a lot of arguments and like the discussions about what is a Christmas movie because there are a lot of people saying that Die Hard is a Christmas movie because it takes place on Christmas Day, and I think like Gremlins a lot more Christmassy than Die Hard. But to me, when I'm thinking of a Christmas movie, I think of like Jingle All the Way or National Lampoons, like movies that take place about Christmas during Christmas Eve. Like is Gremlins like that? Yes, I mean. <laughs> Takes place during Christmas. It's very snowy. Um, I mean, he, the Gizmo himself is a Christmas gift, isn't he? Yeah, but the rest of the movie has like nothing to do with Christmas. It just takes place during Christmas. 
I mean, yeah, but like, there's a lot of like set. It's very Christmassy. Like Santa's not there, but I don't think that you need that for it to be a Christmas movie. Yeah, and Jesus is not there either. No. <laughs> I also really like Black Christmas. It's a very good Christmas movie. Mm. I uh, remember watching Silent Night. Did you watch that one? But like the new one, Violent Night, Silent, uh, Silent Night, I, Silent wasn't... Night, Deadly Night, or just Silent know. Night. I think it was just Silent Night. Maybe I'm like confused, but it was about some people that gather for a final party, like a final Christmas party, and they all have like suicide pills, uh, and they want to kill themselves before the end of the world. Huh. Oh yeah, I, I read the synopsis for that movie because I was like, it doesn't seem good enough to watch, but I read the synopsis just because I wanted to see what happened. Yeah, and, it, it's uh, actually I'll... kind of fun. I'm, I'm not gonna lie, but uh, it's bad, but it's good, you know. <laughs> so Silent Night, Deadly Night. Uh... It's like it's an okay movie, uh, but it has, I think, the best montage of any movie ever. Uh, I highly recommend anyone look up the mm. Silent Night, Deadly Light. Are you saying it's better than the montage in Wet Hot American Summer? Uh, the drug one? Yeah. I mean, that one is like constructed to be very funny. The one in Silent Night, Deadly Light is extremely funny, but I don't think it's supposed to be. Philip from the future here. I made an awesome transition here that made perfect sense and the comedic timing was impeccable but someone who will leave unnamed started fisting their microphone so now we're stuck with this. On with the show. Hello everyone and welcome to uh, yet another timely episode of... Uh, Please don't hate it with your host, Philip, and the co-hosts, Pontus and Ned. And we're here, uh, we're square, and we've watched uh, The Ninth Configuration from 1980, directed by, yet again, William Peter Blatty, who did uh, one of the movies we watched last week, The Exorcist 3. And this is another movie of his that he wrote a book in the 60s that had a a very silly title called <laughs> Twinkle Twinkle Killer Kane. Love and, it. Uh, then, yeah, <laughs> glad they scrapped that one. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, it stars uh, Stage, Stacey Keach, Scott Wilson, uh, Jason Miller, and uh, Ed Flanders. Uh, a lot of returning casts uh, from, or I guess, returning cast in The Exorcist. A lot of people showing up again. And yeah, I guess this. I guess I'll do the synopsis because apparently it was too hard to do a plot synopsis of this movie for anyone so else. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this movie set its place in a asylum in the Lake Pacific Northwest, and uh, it's about uh, Colonel Hudson Kane who arrives at this asylum. To he's a military man, I guess, and also a psychiatrist who shows up to. Uh, yeah, take charge of this place, which is an asylum for mainly um, people who, I guess, they weren't sure if they deserted the army, like faked um, mental psychosis, illness. Like psychosis and PTSD. Yeah, it, um, if they faked it to just avoid uh, <clears throat> service in the Vietnam War. Uh, except for the character Kotshaw, who was a, a NASA astronaut who bailed on a mission to the moon last second uh, in a oh, psychotic sorry. episode. Sorry? Oh, so, I mean, I would have faked it as well. I wouldn't go. 
Night of War <laughs> or the Moon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they went through all that trouble just to bail out second. Imagine like accidentally falling into the role as an astronaut and like I can't get out now. <laughs> Imposter syndrome and that, yeah. that would be <laughs> quite horrible. <laughs> what do all these buttons do? So yeah, uh, he shows up uh, and uh, then onwards, it's the movie is basically a lot of very weird dialogue, a lot of very weird characters talking about um, <laughs> Shakespeare and God and redemption. Uh, and Kane is a very, um, very. I would say he's a very soft man. Tries to see the good of everything, every, everyone. Uh, he has a very weird approach to uh, psychological treatment. Uh, but yeah, it's basically he's trying to convince Cutshaw there's this like good in everyone. Uh, and it all culminates when Kutcher, like escapes the asylum and he goes to a, a biker bar, gets beat up. Kane arrives at the scene uh, and uh, saves him, kills a whole bunch of bikers uh, and then commits suicide to, as a way of showing uh, Kutcher that there are good in everyone, trying to like tri- tip him over <laughs> the edge to, <laughs> see, <laughs> to turn him sane, I guess. Uh and then the movie ends. Should we bring cut- up the the twist? Oh yeah, this is movie was basically oh yeah, pretty big point. This movie is basically Shutter Island before Shutter Island. It turns yes. out uh, Kane is a patient, and uh, he has killed a bunch of people. So in, in the-, the beginning, they're talking. He's talking about his brother being the killer Kane, and then you find out later on that he's actually killer Kane, and that they sent him there. And his brother is actually working at the asylum as well, but just playing along and trying to cure him there. But that doesn't really work out. Mm. And when the twist came, I was like, yeah, I saw that about five minutes into the movie. Same. That was exactly what I was thinking as well. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, people, a lot of the patients keep telling him that he's actually insane himself. No, but it's it's also his performance. I know it's like historically at that time you know like movies were so deeply rooted in theater that they are all very like their performances are exaggerating a lot but damn was he uh struggling out there i know people say that this is one of his best performances and i'm like mm, give me some subtlety baby like what was that you mean yeah, you mean stacy keach as a as hud yeah Kane? yeah it is uh it is a very strange performance. I don't. I don't really know how to describe it. It's. Um, it's played so straight, but it's at the same time very comedic. Where everything around yeah. it is very comedic, because you have so much like everything is balls to the walls crazy in this movie. I say because I mean everyone is crazy, and they're really like if if it's like everyone is like okay, I'm in the scene, time to like pop off <laughs> it's an acting reel as i as i wrote in my notes yeah yeah, yeah exactly and, and also yet again like the dialogue in this movie is so dense yeah and uh, but it feels like a whole lot of improv i don't know if they improvise a lot of their lines but it just gave off that vibe i know that uh joe you know joe spinell uh he was uh the character actor. he was in the godfather movies he's in uh I think maybe his most famous role is in Maniac. 
He's oh, no. very weird looking guy. Um, great for playing like serial killers and stuff. But I think he wasn't like supposed to be in this movie. He kind of showed up. His character wasn't <laughs> written for the movie. He just like ad libbed everything. He just hung around. <laughs> He's the guy who uh, assists the director who is performing Shakespeare plays with dogs. Oh, I love him. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah. This is one of my favorite. Like I don't even say subplots, but the whole dog angle is quite hilarious i think did it go anywhere no no right (laughs) (laughs) no i I also feel like uh, i mean when i did a synopsis now it's like oh it's all about like cut show but i feel like in for most of this movie i don't really know what like it's not super clear that he's like even like the main character almost because he's kind of just there with everyone else up until he becomes you know important the, the the only character i really follow through the movie mostly was the the brother the like co-doctor mm-hmm. that's the guy i focused on uh do you think this line of dialogue was improvised when he sits down in the doctor's uh, lap and says i think the end of the world just came for the bag of fritos in my back pocket and you hear a crunching sound oh yeah <laughs> i think that was the scene that made me go like okay <laughs> i might like this <laughs> oh hopefully it was it was a bit like a lot of this uh, dialogue kind of work as like rap bars as well, especially when like uh, Katsho, uh is first speaking to Kane in his office. Uh, he says, uh, waiting for covetous kleptomanic- kleptomanical col- colonel to come creeping around my bedside to rip away my medal. I feel mm. like that could be like an MF Doom verse. Yeah, until he died. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I liked a lot of the the smaller characters that had like only punchlines. Like the one that was like, "I know my rights. I want to see my urologist." Or the other one that was talking about um, walking through walls. He was uh-huh. also a person of faith. He was like, "Regular people can do it. Cops can do it. People from Nashville can do it." <laughs> <laughs> if it's punishing the wolves for not the yeah. atoms not splitting when it tries to walk through it. Yeah, so the others can get scared. <laughs> <laughs> I, I feel like if I'm gonna if if we're gonna go into opinions about this movie, I'm gonna say for the first half, the first fifty percent of this movie, I hated it. Yeah, uh, same. <laughs> I genuinely hated it because yeah, I, I am a, like I really don't like. Uh, a lot of noise and, and crazy things happening. So it's like if I'm sitting on the train alone and uh, there's a lot of drunk people around me, I get very uncomfortable and I walk away. And uh, the first uh, half of this movie is just people being crazy, saying nonsensical stuff and being very much in your face. And you're seeing this all through the lens of uh, Vincent Kane, the doctor, psychiatrist, who turns out to be a murderer. And he's just being like this completely stoic person who, because he's trying to show that he can't react to all the people's actions because that would sort of be a way to exacerbate their trauma. Uh, so the first half of the movie is just you feeling like you're being put into a corner as crazy people are screaming in your face <laughs> and you have no way of understanding what they're saying is supposed to be uh, as like profound real things or if it's just like random stuff they came up with because these people are insane so and also there's no conflict in the first hour of the movie because i no. think it's two hours so it's like the first hour is just them like uh hud kane being mm. absolutely treated like shit by these people and being <laughs> hounded and screamed at 
And I'm sitting there going like, if I if this was my job, I would fucking jump through the window like ten minutes, like and after the half after half an hour. Oh, uh, I feel though after the first hour, there are a lot of dialogues in the movie that are quite entertaining, uh, especially like the ones you mentioned, Ned. But I can't really remember any of them except for the ones I wrote down here in my notes. And I have I have one note here, and I I remember laughing it off when I heard it when it says, "I guess this boar was a diabetic." Does anyone remember what the context of that <laughs> quote was? I mean, there's a, there's a stuffed boar head on the wall. And is it, I think it's Kutcha who says it. I think he's just like walking around. Because when he first appeared in Kane's office, he just immediately trashes it. Yeah. Which got me like, when he throws the file up, it's like, oh, here are all these, this pile of files all sorted. And he just throws them away. And I'm like, oh, I got so anxious by that scene. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, and that was my feeling the whole movie, just being anxious. Yeah. So when when did it turn for you? Uh, I think, or like, did it turn? Because you didn't like the first half, but uh... I I think that the the ending when mm. uh, he commits suicide, I felt like that that was a a pretty damn poignant part, very late. sort of a genuinely touching. Because mm-hmm. I feel like in a lot of movies, when you talk about suicide and stuff, it's always like portrayed. Uh, it never feels like suicide is portrayed from a point of view of someone who actually like has been suicidal and in this movie it kind of felt like yeah this person actually like could anyone have saved him and it felt like nope like yeah i I kind of like uh because i think the point of his suicide is you know like kind of way cut show up but i kind of also feel like it is like kind of like oh now at this point maybe he has realized who he actually is and he can't deal with it and just decides to end his life yeah, and, and there was a part of me thinking, like, even if they had restrained him and forced him to not do it, would he have ever been cured? And I think no. Like, he would have kept that inside of him. So I felt like that ending was... It wasn't as tragic or sad as it uh, usually is portrayed with suicide movies. It was more like uh, a pretty, like, genuinely emotional climax in a way that felt, like, soothing or, like, a good, like a good release of emotion, in my opinion release of emotion speaking of the the whole bar scene yeah i feel is i i, I love that whole thing uh because, like you have the <laughs> the main two bikers the wolverine two, kurt russell as i wrote there <laughs> yes i mean i like the the second they appear i'm just like all aboard because they're so weird and so charismatic and so charismatic you, you don't think so? With the guy oh, liner? I think that's a no. <laughs> great reveal when the main guy takes off his glasses and he's just <laughs> covered in guy liner. I also feel like it's it's almost random that there are Nazis when you see that they have like Nazi tags and stuff on them because it doesn't feel like they're acting like Nazis or it feels like they're in a Nazi environment. Oh, just assholes. Mm. <laughs> yeah. so it's like, oh, what what do we have to show that these people are assholes? It's like, ah, oh, let's make them Nazis. <laughs> yeah, but look, like the, the emotional relief of that uh, whole sequence, like when he Kane is like getting beaten up and like he's forced to uh, talk trash about the Marines, and like I feel like for most of that uh, whole sequence, the music has been like diegetic, like the bar music. Yeah. But then it's like silence for a long time, and then like the soundtrack like kicks in as he's like uh, pushing himself up from the floor, and then just starts beating everyone to death, like. Anyone who gets in his way in the bar, but like biker chicks as well, just yeah. get their heads. The hammer of in. justice was unisex here, yeah. And, I, I, sure. <laughs> and if I remember correctly, like that scene doesn't feel like a triumph at that point. It just feels like something snapped. Like, yeah, it's like, more like a defeat. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it, 
it sort of feels like a, a way of describing and showing that like an immovable object meets like an unstoppable force and like that he eventually had to let go because he was trying to this whole movie was trying to be pretty passive and like trying to be the opposite of who he was in the war when he was like an active murderer mm-hmm. and the whole movie just seemed like trying to be the opposite of that and then or just being his brother because his brother actually is a psychiatrist and yeah i mean yeah. he's an alcoholic but yeah. he's a good guy i guess yeah and then sort of like the the sort of defeat in him comes when he meets something that like a person and this like biker gang who are showing him that you can't be this like like you you can lay down but we're going to keep on beating you we're going to we're going <laughs> to rape Cutshaw in front of you just to fuck with you and it was like yeah. and it's like, and it gets to a point where he goes yeah i, I can't get away from this or I, sort of um, a lot of the talk a lot of the dialogues in the movie are sort of a, like what evil is and where evil comes from and mm-hmm. and that scene sort of feels like a defeat and fitting for the whole story yeah yeah and it, i guess like off because it, it's a defeat for kane like in front of catcher uh, as well yeah. you mean like trying to convince him about the good in man and he tries to be like the good man during the whole sequence and then he just can't do it and he just has to kill everyone as well and you like you don't really feel bad for the people to kill, but it's still <laughs> still it, it's a good way of saying it has uh, having the cake and eating it because it's a satisfying like fight scene, but it's also like at the end of it, it there's a sour feeling in your mouth. Like it doesn't feel like a triumph when it's over. Yeah, I have to disagree. I kind of liked it. <laughs> I mean, I felt it kind of like a triumph. They deserved it. The only thing that bothered me was this testosterone-filled movie. The the only women that appeared there had to be bitches that they killed. But um, yeah, that's uh, equality. That's pretty equal. Uh, there's the would... uh, the bartender uh, who calls. Yeah, uh, that's the only which one. Which is also um, <laughs> Batty's wife at the time. Ah, so he cast oh, uh, the, the only positive director cameo <laughs> as well in this movie. Uh, he plays uh, one of the in inmates mm. the, the is a, i guess a kind of foreshadowing when he arrives he there's a, like a doctor who approaches him and like start talking to him and then it turns out he stole uh the robes from uh ed fander's character and he's actually an inmate that's uh, uh peter blatty yeah I, I enjoyed those scenes when he's talking to, talking to the doctor uh and he's like after a while, he realizes that the person he's talk- not talking to is actually not a real doctor, but it does it so subtly that it <laughs> it catches catches you by surprise pretty well, and I enjoyed that scene. Yeah, I think Stacy Keach is also really good in this movie. The main uh, main character, Kane. No, no, I don't. Uh I I couldn't stop thinking that it kind of looked like uh, Oliver Reed. Like he had that like macho like meathead yeah. face, like meathead yeah. head, and I couldn't stop thinking about that. It's overall like this movie just felt like a, an attack on my senses. It's like I, I, I kept on like I I know a good movie is good when I think about it the day after, and I did think about this movie, and but it it, it was still most of the movie I was just uncomfortable in a way where it's like in the bad way where it just feels like the movie is like really going down, getting down my throat. I, I enjoyed like rewatching this movie because. Don't have to spend as much time just trying to keep up with what's happening, and like more try like to get into the themes of the movie. The themes are very cool and interesting, especially like I said before. I kind of like movies that just like dip their toes into religion, but like a lot of these themes are very like almost like hidden or like clunky setup because it's again there's so much dialogue, and 
it's kind of hard to understand what's important until it's like a main part of the plot. Mm. I imagine there's like a nine hour cut of this movie. <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> I thought religion was a main plot point here, though. To me, that felt this way. Yeah. Like, you know, like the purpose of God, because I don't think it was like a God versus science thing, which I would have preferred a bit more, but it was mostly just people acknowledging the existence of God, but like putting to question why who would allow like violence and war and stuff like that. And then, you know, Cain trying to justify that for, what was the other, what was the astronaut's name? But the, gotcha. what was it? Gotcha. Yeah, that guy. And that was to me the most interesting part because I love those discussions. And these are discussions that we're bound to have at the family table on Christmas dinner. Uh, when, I, when I tell my grandma that I don't believe in God and she acts all surprised like it's the first time she's hearing that. So it felt very, you know, on the season, on the nose. And I enjoyed <laughs> hearing that um, discussed in a movie made in the 80s because I, don't, I feel like it's so common nowadays to have things, you know, that a bit, are a bit more controversial about religion. But I haven't heard it so much, like in older movies, you know. You, I think like this movie almost like kind of it defaults everyone as Christian or like kind of believing. Mm. Like Kotcho is kind of the the guy who sticks out who doesn't really believe in God, even though he has that medallion uh, with like a saint on it. Or uh, and it's like in this case, yeah, not God. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it like you know portrays like a like a good human as a Christian as well, mm. like all these Christian values. Um, and, and then again at the end, I mean, Kocho asks uh, Cain if like, oh, if you die before me, can you like try to give me a sign? And he's like, oh yeah, sure. And then the whole movie, I mean, the ending, the, the medallion that Kocho gives him earlier uh, just appears in the, in the car he's driving away off again. And it's like, oh, so it's like kind of confirming and like afterlife and stuff. I think I think like that's the only scene in the movie where it goes for a sort of a logical, realistic approach to it. Because most of the movie, when they're talking about religion, it's always done in the context of these people are absolutely insane, and you're not supposed to take anything what they're saying at face value, or at least like the movies. That that's how I interpret it. So most of the time when I was watching this movie and they're having discussions about religion or what makes man evil, I'm I'm sitting there going like I don't really understand if this. Is supposed to be a poignant scene, or if it's just showing that these people are not mentally sane. Like that's the part I had a problem with. Yeah, I I feel like the, those were the things I got more on the rewatch because I was more like honed in on that than uh, the first time I watched it. Yeah, I I think I would definitely enjoy this a lot more if I rewatched it. Uh, definitely. Also, like if you watch it, it, it kind of feels like the movie too early on shows that uh shows the plot twist and then i'll be honest first time i watched it i didn't i didn't pick it up not at all uh not really because there are i mean they're they're foreshadowing it uh and there's also the whole uh when he we don't know it is brother but he has a conversation with him like oh and he's like acting all normal and then as soon as he leaves the room he's like breaks down uh you know after like seeing what his brother has become but you don't get, you don't, I mean, no, you don't know why he does this until, you know, to reveal that it, it is his brother. But there's, it's there's also really weird that they, they don't look much alike at all. No, and, and they look uh, age-wise, you can't really tell if they're like uh, 25 or uh, 55. Like, it's that time, yeah. 
is that time in history when all old men looked like they were old men when they <laughs> after they became like 22. I blame milk. <laughs> and smoking and being in the sun. Oh, that's it wars. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's milk. <laughs> um, did you think... Was Kutcher faking it or was he actually mentally ill? I think he was ill. You think so? Yeah. No, I don't. I, I truly think he was faking it. Also because of the fact that he was one of the people that uh, from early on suspected that Kane is also a patient there and that he's also like mentally ill. And I felt like, felt like that was the first giveaway that he was pretending because he did have like some form of sanity going on. <laughs> and I, I, uh, think, I think, yeah. Yeah, go on, Ned. No, I was just thinking back to his final monologue about, about why he was scared to go to the moon. And it felt like such a reasonable thing. And to <laughs> me, he looked like a person that was just very scared to do the thing. Like he was training to do this thing. And then he finally like realized how scary it actually is going to be. And like what it means to go to the moon. And he just like decided to bail the last second without being actually mentally ill. He just thought, yeah, that's the way I'm going to do it. I felt like the the whole last scene of the movie where it shows that he is now like become uh, like quote unquote cured. To me, that scene was an indication that he was at some point like maybe he wasn't like didn't have PTSD or have been shell shocked like the other ones who were veterans. But he still to me came off as someone who needed therapy at least or someone who had gone like insane because uh, like I I actually. My friend ended up in a mental hospital like 20 years ago or something. And I went to visit him and like the people I saw there were just like regular people that had just snapped and become like really weird. Like one guy who was there, this was in Sweden, one guy who was there, he had like burnt himself out because he had worked so hard that he had become a different person that he was only speaking English now. So everyone he talked to, he spoke to in English. <laughs> and so it was like when I, the people I saw in this movie and him are kind of reminding me of the kind of people there where it's like, that I think there's a very thin line between being sane and insane in the like clinical sense, and I feel like Kocha had definitely gotten over to that point, in my opinion. Yeah, mm. it, it, if he wasn't faking it, he also feels like I don't know the the most treatable of the bunch. Like he he didn't think he was Black Superman or like he could like face through walls. No, uh, yeah. He's, yeah, he seemed like I mean, if it would take place today, it. I mean, he probably would have been, uh, you know, screened before being chosen to go to the moon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't have time for that in the 80s. Yeah, no, I <laughs> But also it feels like going to the moon, like if you're that person, you're kind of doing this for people because, you know, exploration, whatever, you want to find out what's there, whatnot. And he also like mentioned that he had lost hope, you know, that, People do good things just, you know, for the good of it. And I feel like at, at the end, when he showed him that you can still show kindness to someone without like, like getting anything back, maybe he was like, okay, then I'm, I'm going to go and do it. I'm going to do it. I feel like it's so strange that they chose to do this for his character, who's like not in the war. Mm. It's like, see the good in people and all that stuff. It don't really see him um, as like connected, like going to space and like, oh, you know, killing Vietnamese people, you know, to stop communism. Uh, I feel like those themes would more apply to any of the veterans than the astronauts. 
I think I think the main reason he was there was just before the politics of it. There's like that America mm-hmm. didn't want him to be in a regular place where other people could see, like, because it would show badly on their side. And like you, you see that the second he goes to that bar, there are lots of people there going like, "Oh my God, you're the astronaut who got like you got fucked up." And uh, mm-hmm. I can see that in the movie, maybe, and I don't think they need to explain that. Oh, he's here for this reason, but I think the conclusion I take away from it is that the government put him there because like if we put him somewhere else it's gonna just gonna be bad PR for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So what what did you get away from this movie like thinking like because one one thing I thought about is uh, this movie kind of reminded me a lot of uh the movies by Sidney Lumet in the sense that his movies are like very kind and empathetic and sort of progressive views of like how people can change and how what affects people it's like 12 angry men and so on like that movie is pretty revolutionary for its time considering it talked about like systemic racism in the 1959 and i feel like this movie does the same thing where it's it doesn't feel like it's really saying look at these like weirdos or these cowards who are going away from war it feels like it comes away with being very much about sort of wanting to treat people and wanting to show that there are like uh, men who are hurt who deserves to be helped and that they're not crazy in that sense yeah you get the conflict of this with like most of the the staff uh seem not very sympathetic towards the people there yeah uh except for kane and maybe uh maybe the oh what's this is a, a guy who became famous later who is tom atkins uh plays a guard as well you know uh, he's he was in uh uh, like the fog and uh, some Halloween movies, he shows up a bunch in like John Carpenter movies and stuff. Uh, yeah, he, he seems like to be the only like sympathetic one. And uh, I guess Ed Flanders' character is kind of neutral, has a neutral stance to this because he humors the inmates a lot. Is that the one whose pants are stolen all the time? Yes, uh, <laughs> he, he kind of humors them and like debates them almost, but like in a like kind of making fun of them way as well but he's not like as anti as the the other like the guard who at some point they do like role play and have all the guards dressed up in nazi uniforms and he's not very comfortable with this <laughs> i'm gonna make a very controversial statement and say that i think that this movie does a better portrayal of people in who needs mental help than one flew over the cuckoo's nest mm. I haven't seen that movie since high school, but yeah, uh, sure. <laughs> I remember, like, if, I remember that you. movie. I remember that movie very much portraying like the mentally insane people as being like dangerous. In this movie, they just come mm-hmm. off as like like children. You have to sort of find a way to teach. <laughs> they all kind of have the thing they, I mean, want to achieve. Like, someone wants to go through walls. Someone wants to be like Superman. Someone wants to put on a Shakespeare and play with dogs, which are all like pretty harmless things none of them are like psychotic killers except for the main character and one of them wants to do a blackface dancing scene which he does oh yeah <laughs> yeah that scene came out of like i was like ooh, i wonder if this <laughs> and and it's done in a way where it's uh, it's not showing that oh this is fucked up it's more like oh look at this guy being so happy doing his minstrel show <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah they also they give a guy at some point a jetpack the guy who thinks he's on he thinks he's an astronaut on like Venus and stuff. <laughs> and then when they like start establishing the whole roleplay thing, he just came to like 
flies through the scene on a jetpack. It was like a Renaissance day. painting. Yeah. That frame. <laughs> <laughs> and I also loved when he put his like, what's it called? Like a helmet a little bit upwards and he couldn't see where he was going. So he just smashed <laughs> a bunch of paintings when he was walking around. <laughs> also a highlight. What do you think of the actual like movie making of this? Because I feel like, um, I mean, this is 10 years before The Exorcist 3. And I think it's his filmmaking is a bit more evolved in that movie. But I think like, again, like the set for this the set design and everything for the movie is amazing. The so there's a lot of great. like uh, B-roll or like statues in the rain and it looks pretty incredible, I think. The blocking was also really good, like the shot composition in that sense, like the office, even though mm-hmm. the office is like, they have, it, they use that set quite a lot. They still have some depth to it and sort of like the furniture and how the characters are staged. So like it makes most of those scenes at least be memorable and not be like shot reverse shot of like mm-hmm. camera above like a shoulders, like uh, behind the shoulder. Uh, I feel that I, uh, this movie has a problem where it's like a lot of older movies have, which is that like a lot of older movies with lower budget is that when they're released on like Blu-ray or an HD, you can kind of tell where they were like making shortcuts or where they didn't really have like the camera necessary. Because like there are some scenes in this movie of like B-roll where you can just go like, yeah, that's not the same camera or the same camera operator as the rest of the movies. Like this one was done pretty hurriedly and they didn't really have the budget to fix it and they thought ah who's gonna care they're just gonna watch it in the cinema it's like and <laughs> it's pretty funny if... uh, with the budget of this movie it only had like a four million dollar budget and no one wanted to fund this movie so uh Blatty put in like half himself and then the other two million he got from uh pepsi yeah yeah and, and he, he was... gets like free creative control on one condition that they shot it in hungary because they had like a lot of assets in Hungary that they couldn't like release of, so they just put it into this movie, and that's like why you see the uh, the Pepsi, like the soda dispensers, are all Pepsi in this movie. I, I, I do they have any soda dispensers in the castle they're living in? Yep, they do. Okay, I didn't think about that. And it's also like this castle is supposed to be in in the U.S., which I feel is pretty hilarious. That is like all as like i don't know gothic. what type of age yeah gothic castle is just in the u.s i think they explained it as the previous owner just moved it like rock by rock from europe to the u.s but well you know seattle is a uh, seattle in washington it's a very gothic area <laughs> <laughs> i imagine in my head this movie takes place around the same area that green room takes place in yeah, a lot of Nazis running around in the woods, these those woods. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I didn't make the connection that they're Nazis, also. <laughs> this is a prequel to Green Room. <laughs> when you said this about the Pepsi, I just had a... It's a little bit off topic, but a lot of like new Bulgarian movies that come out now rely solely on sponsors for their... Um, uh, so like music videos? A lot, yeah. So it's like you're watching a movie and the main character is like, we have to order a taxi. Let me go into the OK app. Uh-huh. Uh, it's very easy to do it. Let me show you how. And it's like, <laughs> I'm watching a movie and they're just like giving me a full like one minute ad of how to order a taxi using this app. And I'm like, damn, we're in the bad place here. Can we have a quick discussion about like worst product placement you've seen in a movie? Uh, well, anything comes to I guess you have something since you brought it up. Yeah, yeah, I have yeah. one. Okay, so... <laughs> I'm going to say, like, I used to be a big, 
uh, growing up, I was a fan of Transformers. So I went and saw the first four Transformers movies in the cinema. And uh, I know they're not very good, most of them. But the fourth one was when I went and said, okay, I'm, an, I'm officially a moron for being misled once again. Because that movie is the worst example of product placements ever. But the funny part about that movie is that <clears throat> they were so dependent on the Chinese market for it that the second half of the movie is entirely pandering to the Chinese market by basically doing product placement for the Chinese government in the movie. And they also have product placement for only Chinese products during that segment of the movie. So the first half of the movie is just Bud and Bud Light. And then the second half is like Chinese milk and the Chinese government. And there's like, they have a scene in the movie where out of nowhere, there's like, they're showing like in, they've never really shown in the movie before that, like the American government reacting to what's happening. But instead they have a scene where it's like they cut to like a really cool uh, active shot, like where the camera's like doing the Michael Bay spinning as the Chinese government is coming out of the building and they're like, we have to save our people. I'm going to call some people. And it's like they have like this awesome shot of Chinese politicians talking about how they're going to save their people and how they're going to be so good at destroying these robots. And then it cuts to Stanley Tucci drinking uh, Chinese milk from it like a cardboard box and that's like a shot of him just holding the milk <laughs> as he's drinking for like 30 seconds <laughs> then they also have like a very long shot of them like showing the Beats by Dre speaker yeah and, the and uh, My Little movie. Pony because it's Hasbro yeah yeah. I, I remember from a movie that we watched, something that annoyed me a lot was in Casino Royale when they were like, yeah. Rolex? And he has like, no, Omega. And I'm like, that's not a flex. <laughs> that's an ad. <laughs> it, was a lot, a lot, it was a lot more subtle than having the product placement for the Chinese government, at least. <laughs> yeah. I love when they do the like, technological product placement. Like in Casino Royale as well, we had all the Sony Vio stuff. Mm. And I saw what? a while back, I saw a movie called Cry Wolf. It's like a mid-aughts horror movie, and pretty obvious like Nokia sponsored that movie because like everyone has like a different like high-end Nokia phone in that movie. Was it and from it just, the time when they had the one that opened and flipped? They had all Nokia wasn't crazy at the time. I think there's an engage in that movie. Um, also, it's think, not. It's it's not. It's it's after polyphonic, polyphonic ringtones. Yes, yeah. I think one of them is the one that like you can the bottom half you could twist. And it was yeah, that's so like the one half series. was like a, the media, like the music player, and one was the bottoms, and the camera was on the side. Yeah. So you can like twist it up to the camera. My brother had one of those. If uh, I'm not uh, mistaken, yeah. this is the N97, but I'm not sure. I have to double check this the because top I of think. His head. <laughs> yeah, wait. I, I, remember, I remember the model names were so many on Ericsson phones. I remember oh, so no, many. Oh, no, it's not them. a 97. Sorry. Uh, well, how do you feel about the product placement in iRobot where he goes out and buys vintage Converse shoes because he needs to have the ones that are released when the movie was made? Because <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, those shoes are their antiques. It's like, yeah, it's the real deal. And then it shows how he takes them out of the box and it's like, <laughs> Converse, all-stars. <laughs> As he's wearing them. And it's like, you know, those shoes are 40 years old, right? In this movie. <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, that's the last time. That was the last time shoes were good, you know? <laughs> I just found it. It's N93 for those who want to double check. If if anybody hasn't been alive at that age, that's the phone that we all want. Get one off eBay right now. <laughs> yeah. Am I alone in saying that I about ninth configuration? I would be kind of up for this movie getting a remake. Yeah, all I, female though. 
<laughs> sure. Uh, as I was thinking, I kind of wished uh, Blatty would have made like uh, an adaptation of uh, Grant Morrison's Arkham Asylum. Like the Batman. Yeah, like yeah. do this exact movie, but just have like Batman break in and just like go through and meet like the whole rogues gallery. Is is that the one that has like really watercolor painting style? Like uh, really, yes, like, the art yeah. in that in that one is amazing. It's uh, very oh, yeah. very um, I don't know how to describe it. Impressionistic. Like. Yeah, it's out there. Yeah. It's not I, very yeah. like traditional comic book art. I have it, and I remember being very confused reading it because you can't really tell what's happening in any of the shots. <laughs> in no. any of the paintings because it's very, very impressionistic. Yeah. Yeah. Final thoughts? Oh, thought, Are you what? making the shots here to say that we're closing this out? <laughs> Can you imagine? Because I felt, I felt a lull, and I was like, let me tap into my instincts and just... We have, we, this. <laughs> we have an editor, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I think I would uh, uh, if I think I would show this movie to someone if I wanted to come off as uh, cool and smart and be like uh, uh, a hip and someone who knows something about films. Uh, also, it would be double as a way for me to rewatch it because I think I would enjoy it a lot more the second time. But yeah. uh, the first uh, hour of the movie, it kind of felt like when I'm watching RuPaul's Drag Race and I feel like ah, it's too many people. No, it's more like a circus. It's like everything. <laughs> it's like clowns coming into my face. <laughs> that comes off a bit homophobic. Clowns coming <laughs> on your face. Okay. <laughs> yes, clowns coming on my face. You're just coming all the time. I fucking hate it. <laughs> Lovely picture. I, I've I told you it's... before, Ned. I told you before, Ned, that I don't like RuPaul's Drag Show because it's too loud and in your face. I repress things that I find offensive and I forget about them. <laughs> <laughs> so every time you say it, it's going to be for the first time. Uh, but uh, regarding this movie, I I think it has like, it, it scores high on the rewatchability scale, which says a lot for me because I don't rewatch things I don't like. Um, but do you want so to rewatch it? <laughs> I kind of want to, yeah. Uh-huh. Because, I, like, because the first part, like Pontus mentioned, I wasn't paying that much attention because it was a bit annoying. Uh, but, um, I feel like now knowing how the movie, uh, evolves after that, I may have a different understanding of it if I watched now. I mean, I won't because I have zero free time, but like the thought of it (laughs) is nice. (laughs) 10 years from now, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I still, I think I, yeah, I I maybe enjoyed a bit less on the re, on the rewatch, although I enjoyed different parts more, but I, I, yeah, I still think like it's. Such a behemoth of a movie. It's so much hair, uh, and uh, again, the rewatchability. Re- so, like, yeah, I, mm. I still think it's a damn shame that you only made two movies because I could watch like twenty more movies. I think in, the movie industry. I think the movie industry chewed him up, and he was like, "Yeah, I'm not doing this. I can just write books." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally get it. I mean, talking about rewatchability, if it's like from one to a hundred, do you have a movie that's a hundred? Of rewatchability? Yeah. Uh, Spider-Man 2 and Hot Fuzz. Interesting. Yeah, I feel like like re- the movies I rewatch the most are more like, you know, comfort movies that maybe yeah. mm. there's not that much more to gain on a rewatch. But I, I, I mean, I just rewatch them because I love them. Like Wet Hot American Summer, I just keep rewatching at least like two or three times a year. And yeah, I mean, it. I don't find much new stuff. Maybe the first six times, maybe I found a new joke here and there. But now I just mm. 
have it. <laughs> I think Tour de Pharmacy and Seven Days in Hell are also so rewatchable because they're so short, and I they're, mm-hmm. they're, those movies are just great. Yeah. And uh, Hot Rod, I can rewatch Hot Rod several times. Oh, cool! And Walk Hard, Wanted the most, which I know is not a good movie, but mm, I've watched it eight times, so I guess. <laughs> I think I think it's perfectly fine to be okay to like Wanted. Like it's, it's not, so good. <laughs> yeah, like there's nothing. Uh, it's not an it's not an objectively bad movie. Like it's yeah. an objectively okay movie. And one I've rewatched a lot for reasons unknown to me is Drag Me to Hell. It is a comfort movie to me. I don't know why. I remember watching it. I was super scared the first time. Then the second time I watched it, I was like, oh, it's comedy. <laughs> and then I started rewatching it. <laughs> it took you a second time to re- understand it's a comedy? I was quite young, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Did you watch uh, Evil Dead 1 and 2 and be like, oh, this is horrible? So I've only watched the remake and I enjoyed it a lot. Like, was it Rob Zombie who did the remake? No. no. Was some, uh... He did Halloween remakes. Uh... Oh, okay. I don't know who did that one. I think it was the guy who made uh, Don't Breathe. Let me Fede, uh, double check. Was, was it the guy who made Fede Alvarez? Sounds possible. I, it was like... Uh, oh yeah, someone... that's the name. Fede Alvarez. Yeah. Completely a new unknown he's to make, me. He's making a new alien movie, I think, now. Hmm. Stop it. Why? Oh, <laughs> so he's alien done... tattoo. Yeah, he's done Don't Breathe, The Girl in the Spider's Web, Don't Breathe 2, and the new Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Hmm. That's why you don't get a twos of like current IPs or you know, people who are still active, because there's a way it might bite you in the ass. <laughs> I mean, that can happen with anything, with all of the remakes that are going on. <laughs> like, otherwise, you're never going to be able to get a tattoo of Alien, because they're going to keep on making Alien movies for 100 years. Yeah. Hopefully. I like Alien, so I don't, I'm okay with it. I'm yet to see Covenant, and I, I don't know. Is it good? What do you think, Philip? I watched it for the first time this year, and I was uh, underwhelmed. I, I feel it's a, a movie that tries too hard to do, uh, try to do the opposite. It was like a course correction from Prometheus that they tried to do, mm-hmm. like, they tried to explain everything a lot. But at they the same have. time, they also had people who acted stupid uh, in a way that didn't feel like necessary. Like, you could easily fix it with one, two lines. And then yeah. they also had the cardinal sin of actually fucking up the lifetime, the like the life cycle of an alien, but having an alien coming out of a body without it being a chest burster. It was a regular full form alien. And oh. I was like, it was like, you missed, like, I understand you wanted to have this cool shot because it's a cool shot, but you can't skip the chest burster. Like you're missing the whole point, <laughs> especially when it's you know, a, of, officially a real alien in the movie. It's not the proto alien. <laughs> it's really Scott doing it as well. Yeah. The first time I ever saw anything from the Alien franchise was when I was younger. And it was, you know, that first crossover, Alien versus Predator. And Not at, a bad the time, movie. at the time, I thought this was uh, Cuckoo Bananas amazing. But uh, now that I've watched, like, all of the Aliens and all of the Predators, I was like, who the fuck thought <laughs> that these two franchises should go together? They're completely different. It was um, a comic book. But it worked. They, yeah, they've done, like, plenty of stuff with them crossing over before. Mm, like yes. Yeah. In co- and comics and books. In the and comics shit. books, there's like Batman and Superman versus Alien and Predator, whereas Aliens and Predators are together to kill Batman and Superman. I think I read one was like the Darkness versus Alien as well. Yeah, and there's also that one. <laughs> Very 90s. Okay. Can't wait for that movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think uh, if you want to go into quickly about Alien vs Predator, uh, the second Alien vs Predator, it's if that movie had was shot uh, in a way where you could actually see what happens, it would probably <laughs> be a pretty entertaining movie. But it also has the one scene in an, an, the entirety of Alien and Predator where it feels like, okay, now you guys are just like being sadistic in how you're like killing people. In the Mastority Ward scene? Yeah. yeah. Have, you, have you seen it, Ned? No. So there's a scene where they have the Pred Alien, so like the new alien that is like... Uh, the one from the from, ending of the first one. Yeah, so it mm-hmm. births from a, a Predator. So it's an alien, it's a, a mix of both of them. And what it can do is that instead of uh, like creating eggs or laying eggs, it shoots down its mouth into the mouth of people, and then it just gets like insert the eggs from there so that they can be like used as a, a multipod to birth several people at the same time. So they have a scene where it goes into a maternity ward and finds a woman who's pregnant and does it. So you see her like baby pregnant stomach exploding with like five chest bursters coming out. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> and like that that scene, I'm like, okay, this movie fucking sucks, but you that scene has some balls to it. Like, there's some real fucking courage to making that because it's really offensive. Yeah, it's really yeah. pretty disgusting. much the only thing I remember from that movie, and just remember being like pretty grossed out by it. <laughs> yeah, it was like, oh, okay, now you went too far. Like, I'm okay with I'm okay with chest bursters, but this is just too far. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> what were you saying, Philip? I I was just gonna say that 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 actually plays into the whole. Uh, like thematics of alien pretty well like the the symbolism of it yeah but uh, it felt like they removed the subtext and just made it (laughs) text (laughs) so is it my time next time to make a movie choose a movie i'm pretty sure i'm pretty sure it is okay so i'm gonna give you two options and i'm not gonna give you any riddles or uh, puzzles you have to solve i'm gonna ask you do you want to settle the debate is if Die Hard is a Christmas movie or do you want to watch The Hunt with Mads Mikkelsen? I want to watch The Hunt. Yeah, I, I can go on long. I can keep going not having seen Die Hard. So oh, you're kind of making me have to make you watch it now. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So next time is going to be The Hunt with Mads Mikkelsen. Does the other hunt that was like an American whateverness that that that's not a remake? or anything like no, that. It's no, just no, a completely no, no. separate movie, right? It was a Blumhouse movie. So it's like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> All right. Do you want to play us off, Philip? Yeah, play us. Yeah. Until uh, next time, uh, Merry Holidays and... Uh, Happy Dog Christmas. Bless. Dog bless. Yeah. Hearing very played off. <laughs> <laughs> Bye.